as a title for this sermon, I've lifted the phrase from verse 24. The church is subject to Christ. The church is subject to Christ. If this sermon were a train, Christ and the church would be the two rails guiding that train. Without Christ and the church, this sermon and all that follows goes off the rails quickly. About 10, 11 years ago, Marianne and I were in a Sunday school class at our church. And most of the couples in that class, along with us, were in the first few years of our marriages. And so we focused on marriage-related scriptures. And as is usually the case whenever the preacher preaches on subjects of tithing or submission, what do you think happened? A new couple showed up. And this new couple came on the Sunday that we happened to be studying this same text. When we read Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, wives, be subject to your own husbands. That's as far as we got in our study. That's all this couple heard, namely the wife, and she did not like what she heard. I hope I'm not exaggerating in what I remember, but for the rest of that class, the wife argued and challenged this culturally insensitive teaching of being subject to her husband or being submissive to her husband, such that she could not move on to the rest of the text. I don't know if she knew the Lord, Never saw her again. But she clearly wasn't viewing this subject with the Lord in mind. And if we are honest, submission to one another is not a natural posture for us as human beings. It requires the work of God transforming our hearts through submitting to Christ that frees us then to submit to others. Submission requires humility which is the opposite of what is natural to us, which is self-preservation and pride. One commentator wrote, people who do not know Jesus can only see this issue from the perspective of depravity. They only see what is wrong with relationships between men and women, and they cling desperately to the mechanisms of self-preservation they have learned over the years. This wife in our Sunday school class could not let go. And very tellingly, her husband sat next to her, mostly silent. It seemed obvious that this command of scripture was not understood by them. And we were trying to be nice, believe me, and patient with our guests, bless her heart. But the class went off the rails because our guests did not know this important truth. The church is subject to Christ. This text cannot be understood apart from this context. That is the relationship of the church with Christ. This is the main relationship in view. Even though there is a specific application to wives and their own husbands, which we will consider, this text is ecclesiological in nature, and that it speaks of the church. And this text is Christological in nature, in that it speaks of Christ. And to proceed without regard for either one of these guides, 
the church and Christ is to proceed into all kinds of error. The church is subject to Christ. This is a fact of the church. The word does not say the church will be subject to Christ as if this subjection is something we can accomplish if we hear a sermon like this and do something about it. No, this is not an imperative. It is an indicative. It is not a command. It is a statement of fact. The word does not say the church will be subject to Christ, as if this subjection is something we may look forward to at some time in the future, but is not true of the present. No, but the church is subject to Christ. This is a fact of the church. This is a distinguishing mark of Christ's church. It is our identity as the church, as much as walking in love, as much as walking as children in the light. This is who the church is. The church is not rebellious to Christ. If we are rebellious, we are not the church. The church is not neutral toward Christ. If we are neutral, we are not his church. The church is not partially submitted to Christ. This is not an it depends kind of thing as if we are subject to Christ on certain issues, but not on others. We are not compromisers. If we are partially submitted to Christ, we are not the church. Try this the next time that you're standing on a flat surface. Try to kneel and stand at the same time. With one leg, bow your knee as if kneeling to take a posture of humility and reverence. But at the same time, keep the other leg straight so that you remain standing. You can't do both. For the normal human, it is impossible to stand straight and kneel at the same time. We must either do one or the other. And so being subject to Christ as the church is all or nothing. And there is no other person I would rather trust fully with my life, with my marriage, than the Lord Jesus Christ. This subjection to Christ as the church is not limited just to our gatherings as the church but it carries over clearly into certain other established relationships within the church, which is what Ephesians will begin to explain first with the relationship between a husband and wife in the context of marriage. The title of this sermon is The Church is Subject to Christ, but this phrase will also serve as the main movements of this sermon. First, I wanna draw attention to the church with verse 21. The church is the one another in the fear of Christ and has been an important focus of Ephesians. Then I want to explore what subjection or submission means with verses 21 and 22. Both verses share the same verb and we'll examine how subjection defines the relationship between Christian wives and husbands and the church and Christ. Then I want to move to Christ as all sermons must with verse 23. The church is subject to Christ. Jesus receives the most attention in verse 23, being described as the head of the church and the savior of the body. What does this mean then 
for the church and for husbands and wives in Christ. And then finally, I want us to conclude with this clear statement of application found in verse 24. And if God helps us, we'll weave application throughout this text. And so keep in mind that we are considering just four verses today at the beginning of a much larger section related to this theme of subjection and relationships, particularly within the households of faith. We begin with the church in verse 21. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Who is this one another in the fear of Christ? They are none other than the church of Jesus Christ. This one another is critical to understanding this text. We are not subject to all people, but to one another in the fear of Christ. It's very specific. This is the ecclesiastical context of this instruction, the church. One commentator pointed out that the word church, ecclesia, is used nine times in the whole book of Ephesians. And six of those nine times are found in the section introduced here between verses 22 and 33. No other paragraph in the New Testament has such a high density of that word, church, which is a word that means the called out ones. The church is called out of the world, a spirit-filled people, and belongs to God through Jesus Christ. This is the same church that has been a central theme in Ephesians thus far. The church that God chose, predestined, adopted, blessed, redeemed, and forgave. The church that God loved and made alive together with Christ, saving us, raising us up with him, seating us with him in heavenly places in Christ. The church that God not only redeemed, but also united those far off and those near by the blood of Christ, making one new man, abolishing enmity, establishing peace. You see what God is doing for his church. So that if we as hearers make it this far into this letter, and we have not yet turned away from it, And we can't misunderstand the context of being subject to one another. It is within the context of Christ's church. We are subject to one another in the fear of Christ. The fear of Christ is the basis for how we as Christians relate to one another. It is with a reverence for Christ first, having just a slight hint of trembling in that mix. If an invading enemy army conquers a land, it forces the people who have been conquered into subjection through fear and great trembling. But with Christ, we are not forced into subjection through fear. Instead, we are freed, freed to be his subjects through holy reverence because he conquered sin, death, and the grave the enemies that had power over us, enemies that we no longer fear. And as Christians, we are controlled by the Holy Spirit being filled with the Spirit. 
Verse 19, again, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. All of these describe Christian worship, which incidentally would have occurred in the time of the writing of Ephesians, in households, primarily. And so what is the point being made with one another and the church? It is this. This concept of being subject to one another is distinctly Christian and worshipful. It belongs to Christ and the church, not to the world. The world knows nothing like this subjection and is not capable of understanding it. So practically, as we begin to speak about various relationships with subjection to one another, we cannot speak of those relationships properly outside of a Christian context. For example, marriage. We cannot speak of marriage properly without speaking of Christian marriage, of a Christian wife being subject to her Christian husband in the fear of Christ. That is an essential distinction that must be made. Subjecting ourselves to one another without a fear of Christ, without the context of the local church will inevitably break down and will lead to misunderstandings, to sin, even to abuse. The church is subject to Christ. So our context for this instruction is Christ and the church. These are the two rails that this train is guided upon. Now, let's consider the subject of submission. Verse 21 and 22. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. So what does it mean to be subject? This word be subject means to voluntarily yield, to voluntarily yield. It's worth noting that this word be subject in verses 21 carried over into 22 is a different word from the word obey used in Ephesians chapter six, verse one and five of children with their parents and of slaves with masters. Ephesians six, verse one says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. It's a different word than our word be subject. Ephesians six, verse five, slaves be obedient to those who are your masters according to the fear and trembling and the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. That word, be obedient, is a different word than our word, be subject. Children and slaves are instructed to be obedient, which has the sense of doing what one says. Do what your parents say, and so honor them. Do what your masters say according to the flesh as slaves of Christ. That's obedience, and while obedience is a similar word and concept to submission, it is not the same word used here for one another in the fear of Christ and wives to their husbands. Why is that? 
Well, the word be subject means to voluntarily yield. We are to voluntarily yield to one another in the fear of Christ. A wife is to voluntarily yield to her husband in the fear of Christ. So this word be subject is not about a superior and an inferior, one who has authority and one who does not, a greater and a lesser. No, this word be subject is about an ordering, a voluntary yielding. It is about who leads and who follows. It is about headship and responsibility associated with that. And so the wife yields in a certain way to her husband and the husband yields to a certain way, if not in a greater way, to his wife being willing to give his life for her. And so this verb be subject from verse 21 carries over into verse 22 into this marriage relationship. That's why in our English translations, the words be subject in verse 22 are italicized. The words be subject are not in verse 22, but are carried over from verse 21 in the original Greek language. And so verse 21 is a transitional verse, completing the previous section while at the same time introducing this new section. And with verse 22 is a more specific way in which subjection to one another in the fear of Christ is worked out through a specific relationship. Look with me at verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Wives and husbands and the Lord are the three people involved in a covenant of marriage. And marriage is a covenant, it's not a contract. A contract can be self-seeking for what I can get. A covenant is self-sacrificing for what I can give. A contract can be terminated. A covenant is meant for eternity. A contract is based on my own word and is guaranteed by my own contributions. A covenant is based on God's promises and guaranteed by God's faithfulness. Marriage is a covenant and not a contract because it not only involves a wife and a husband, but also the Lord. All three represented in this verse. Because of this, marriage is sacred. It is holy. It is Christian. God created marriage and defines its relationship for a distinct purpose that this text explains. Marriage illustrates the relationship between Christ and his church. And for this reason, distortions of marriage must be recognized for what they are, distortions. Open marriages, polyamorous marriages, polygamous marriages, homosexual marriages, common law marriages, None of these can illustrate the exclusive, holy, sacrificial covenant relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. And therefore, these biblically must be called what they are, distortions that must be rejected totally as not marriage. Jerome said true marriages are in Christ. Marriage cannot be rightly understood unless one is a Christian. Verse 20, 
2 again says, wives be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. This instruction is given within the context of the marriage relationship. Wives be subject to your own husbands. This instruction is for wives, not women in general, toward men in general, not wives toward another's husband, but exclusively this is for wives toward their own husbands. In Christian marriage, wives voluntarily yield to their own husbands as to the Lord, as the leader and as the head of that marriage. By being subject to her own husband voluntarily, a wife is elevating her own husband, respecting her own husband, supporting her own husband in his responsibilities as to the Lord. And Martin Lloyd-Jones is right to point out that this might raise new problems for a husband that he has never had to confront before. When a wife voluntarily yields to her own husband as to the Lord, now that husband has a responsibility before God to lead his wife and his marriage in the Lord. And he may not know how to do that. There's a real need for discipling among men who are husbands or who will be husbands. The marriage covenant should not be entered into lightly or ignorantly. One of the most important questions to ask a couple that wants to be married is this. Why do you want a Christian wedding, a Christian marriage? Why? Because true marriage is Christian marriage. And if that answer that they give does not produce a testimony of Christian conversion and following Jesus by both the man and the woman, that marriage should not, it should not move forward. For a marriage without Christ and his church is a marriage doomed, if not to fail, to experience great hardship and difficulty because it cannot do what it is intended by God to do, which is to illustrate and witness to the union of Christ and his church. And if counsel is not sought on the front end of marriage, be sure it will be needed on the back end when it falls apart. Yes, we should prepare couples for marriage by asking about practical matters such as handling finances and making decisions about holidays and sharing possessions, living together, this type of thing. But hear me, church, it is so much more important to prepare couples for marriage by explaining what that marriage means as they each together become witnesses for Jesus and his bride, the church. Remember, God does not allow his testimony, his witness, to go on being tarnished by those who claim his name. And as such, a Christian should never marry a non-Christian. This is not my words, it's God's. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? And furthermore, a woman should not even consider marrying a man who she is not willing to voluntarily yield to. Because marriage has a Christian purpose. Wrapped up in that phrase, as to the Lord. 
Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. I like how Adrian Rogers said this. He said, submission is not for women. It is for Christians. Indeed, this attitude of submission is for all Christians before the Lord, not just for wives. If you're a husband who's thinking about how to focus on sermon application this week, how I can teach my wife and apply this subjection to me, before you do, think about this. The church is subject to Christ. And the same subjection that God expects of your wife to you, husband, God expects of you as a member of his church to Christ Jesus, our Lord. I wonder, have you, husband, led your wife and family into a subjection to Christ through the church? You are a hypocrite, sir, if you are demanding from your wife what you are not offering first to your God. Is that too strong? (laughs) Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. This means husbands are fulfilling their duties as husbands as to the Lord too. There's no such thing as a Christless marriage. There's only Christian marriage or distortions of marriage. This teaching of submission cannot be understood without Christ and his church. And today is the day for all husbands to seek the Lord for his help in leading their wives. It's not too late. That may mean humbling yourselves this day before the Lord. It may mean pursuing membership with this local church and covenanting with the Lord and this local body of believers first so that you may then lead your wife as to the Lord. The church is subject to Christ and a husband and wife cannot relate biblically without Christ and his church. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, what happens if your husband is disobedient to the word? Well, the scripture would say, do whatever you can as a Christian wife to win him over by your behavior. Start here. First Peter chapter three, verse one says, in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives. That means that this voluntary yielding of a wife to her husband takes enormous faith in God. But that also means it pleases God for a wife to take this posture in her behavior toward her husband. A wife is submitting first to the Lord before submitting to her husband. And so a Christian wife finds no trouble in obeying this teaching. Again, it cannot be said enough how distinctly Christian this is. The church is subject to Christ. Having considered the one another nature of this teaching in the context of the church, And that being subject is a voluntary yielding, not obeying as a greater to a lesser, but elevating as to the Lord. 
We now turn our attention to the Lord Jesus Christ of whom all of this points to. The church is subject to Christ. Look with me at verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. The marriage relationship moves us to Christ as marriage is supposed to do. A Christian marriage is a witness for Jesus Christ who is the head of the church. Again, this is why marriage can only be Christian or it must be called something else because the husband is the head of the wife not in an authoritarian way, not in a superior way, but in a reflecting way, as a testimony to something else, mirroring the headship of Christ and the church. If a body does not have a head, it is dead. If a body has two heads, well, that's a problem. It will not function in any sort of united or purposeful way. How would we like it if our feet moved on their own, independent of our brain? Some of you may say, I've had that happen before. <laughs> How would you like it if our hands moved independently of our brain? So the husband is responsible for uniting his wife and his marriage with Christ and his church in a way that moves his wife and his marriage in the direction of Christ and his church. That is the responsibility to lead in that way. Where does the church receive her commands? From her head, Christ. Jesus is in scripture called the chief shepherd. And so even your pastors and elders are under shepherds, pastoring and exercising oversight, being examples of Jesus to the body, leading the body, not according to selfish gain, not domineering, but leading according to the word of God under Christ's headship. You see, this is being modeled even in the church. Headship is about authority and order. This is true in the church. And brothers and sisters, this is true in our marriages. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. That word savior speaks of the blood of Jesus when he gave his life on the cross in our place for our sins. It is by Jesus's life, death, burial, and resurrection that we are redeemed by faith in his name. But that word savior also has another sense. It can also mean preserver. A husband cannot save the soul of his wife. Only Jesus can do that. Indeed, a wife's faith must be her own. She cannot be saved simply by marrying a Christian husband, but must herself repent and trust Christ for salvation through faith. But a husband can be the preserver of his wife in the sense that he nourishes her and cherishes her and provides for her as Christ does for his church. Husbands, it is our responsibility to preserve our wives in this way, in Christ. Our wives may want to work 
And our wives may make more money than we will. Our wives may be smarter than us and often are, but it is our God-given responsibility as husbands to preserve our wives and our marriages in the same way that Christ preserves and sustains his church. And so if the wife has some of that responsibility, that is not wrong, but it is always the husband's responsibility. That is his role. Now we do not do this alone, we trust Christ to help us, but that is a way in which we are illustrators of the relationship of Christ and his church through headship and also through preserving. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Much more can be said, but let's move to the final verse for today. Our text ends with this summary, verse 24. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Here is the practical instruction for Christian wives. This is an important responsibility for you in Christ. Knowing that the following verses give much attention to the Christian household where discipleship primarily is worked out in the home. Wives, be subject to your husbands in everything. Voluntarily yielding to your husbands in everything. And this is done as to the Lord. Your husband is not perfect and he will never be perfect. But he will be more like Christ with your help with your respect, with your voluntary yielding to him in obedience to your Lord. Let God work on your husband by obeying God's way here. But if you want to make it more difficult for God to grow your husband in Christ, then start taking God's place in that relationship. Start leading your husband instead of letting God do that. And it will become much more difficult. One more note, a deeper study of this phrase, in everything, in light of all of scripture, will reveal that it is a contextual statement. I want to say that because this verse does not mean that a wife should submit to a husband who is abusive or who asks her to do something that dishonors her conscience or disobeys God. I think we know that, but I want to make that clear. This Text again strongly views both husband and wife as Christians in subjection to one another in the fear of Christ. That's the context. Anything outside of these bounds, the instructions won't work. But inside of these bounds, everything means everything. So that Christ is magnified and exalted in the home and in our marriages and in our worship. It's interesting that so much attention is given here to marriage. And yet Jesus is asked a question by Sadducees in Matthew chapter 22 related to marriage and the resurrection to come. They asked about a woman who had many husbands on earth. And they say in Matthew chapter 22, verse 28, in the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had married her. 
That was their question to Jesus. And Jesus responded with these words. Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Did you catch that? That in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. There's not marriage in the resurrection. And so if this is true, this compels us to ask an important question. Why all this focus on Christian marriage, this side of glory? What marriage will be left in glory? And the answer is what this text has been pointing us to the whole time the marriage of Christ and his church. Revelation 19 says, let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. Brothers and sisters, the church is subject to Christ and the marriage of all marriages has come between Jesus and his church, his bride. This is a great mystery, but we believe by faith what the scriptures teach, the table is set. The invitations are being sent out. And blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Church is subject to Christ. I ask, are you? This is your invitation if you will receive it by faith.